Welcome back to another episode of the God Notes Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Lee, and I'm, as always, so glad to be with you. Today, it's always enjoyable to be able to have these conversations, to be able to pull back the notes that I've written throughout the week, or maybe throughout the past few weeks, the way that this podcast has been going lately, with just having a backlog of things that I think are worthy of talking about in more detail that God has shown me. Either way, I just really enjoy being able to do all these various podcasts and getting to come and talk to you about things of God. Hopefully this podcast will encourage and inspire you, will help you to go deeper with God, and most of all, to have your own personal relationship with God, to know that God is no respecter of persons, and if He's willing to spend time with me, to meet me in prayer, to meet me in study, and to show me things, then God's willing to do the very same thing for you. You can have a close personal relationship with God. You can know God, you can know His Word, and you can be taught by Him amazing things through His Word and through prayer. It's really is amazing. It's something that I wouldn't have guessed that my life would be doing. When it wasn't, it's not where I ever imagined that I would be, but I'm so glad that I am here and that I do know God in this way. I am just so thankful to be able to be used by God and to know that God is willing to use me to reach other people and to know that He's willing to do that for almost well, not almost, but for anybody who is willing to be used by him. This is Thanksgiving weekend. Tomorrow is Thanksgiving, so I do want to take a minute. I know I mentioned at the end of Monday's podcast, which if you haven't heard, Monday's episode of the More God, Less Me podcast was dedicated to Thanksgiving, about being thankful, about our greatest reason to be thankful, which is not the stuff that we have, but it's the great promise we have from God of eternal life in heaven, that our names are recorded in heaven. I believe that's the greatest blessing we have, and as such, it's the greatest reason we have to be thankful any time, any day, regardless of what's going on. But I'm going to take a minute just to to just say Happy Thanksgiving. I hope that you have a great day. I hope that you're blessed, and I hope that your family can come together, and that you all can be thankful together on that great day. Now, what we're going to talk about today, we're going to do the standard podcast format that we've been doing recently of four subjects. And we're going to be talking about what it means to be alive in Christ, the fact that we have what our world needs, having the wrong expectation, and asking the question, why would you try what isn't working? So let's dive right in and look at what it means to be alive in Christ. The note I wrote says, Recently I was driving by a Presbyterian church and began to think about how the Bible says that we are alive in Christ. If that is true, then why do so many churches seem to be dead, have no energy or life left in them? Why could many church services be confused with a funeral? Shouldn't the church be a place of overwhelming joy because of the congregation's knowledge of God and the promise of eternal life? If knowing God and eternal life are not reasons to be joyous and offer praise to the one who gave it all to you freely, I don't know what is. The Bible says that God is worthy of all praise. Shouldn't that be more than sober attention? Did not Paul say that men should praise God with lifted hands? I understand holding things in reference, reverence, but that doesn't mean you must lack joy. Christians today are more concerned with how their worship looks and how that will cause others to see them than they are giving their best to God. We have more Michaels in the church than we do David's. Michael's, and I could be saying that name wrong, but that was King Saul's daughter who married David. And when David came back into the city before the Ark of the Covenant, worshiping joyfully, jumping up and down, she despised him and questioned what he did. 
But we see in the scripture who was recorded as someone after God's own heart and whose womb was shut up. We see who was blessed for their actions and their willingness to praise regardless of who saw them, who around, and that was King David. You can say that the New Testament doesn't call for instruments, shouting, or physical praise, but neither does it condone such worship. But all through the Psalms, which we all hold so dear, we see these things practiced, taught, and blessed. Isn't the Old Testament meant to be our example? Also, if God does not change, then why would the praise he both allows and desires change? Ultimately, the reason so many churches seem dead today is because they are dead. At least in the spiritual sense, they are lacking the spiritual breath of life. They are lacking the Holy Ghost. They have a form of godliness, but lack the power thereof, that being the Holy Spirit. All through the book of Acts, there is, no, there is one common denominator to those who have received God's Spirit. There is a clear sign that makes them receiving it evident. The Holy Spirit does not come through faith alone, because if it did, the Apostle Paul would not have had his interaction with the disciples of John in Acts chapter 19, which says, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No. Which that, that, that alone pretty much sums it up. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? No. So they believed in God, they believed in Christ, yet they had not received the Holy Spirit. They go on to say, We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked them, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, and he told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord and Jesus, and when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Churches are dying today because they lack the power of God, which is his life-giving spirit. The spirit brings life, and that life cannot be hidden in the church. I'm not talking about outlandish acts of breathing on people and them falling over or services without order. But tongues are biblical, and the inexpressible joy told of in Scripture will be clearly seen in those who truly received God's spirit. I do really believe that the reason that there are churches today that don't seem alive, that you can walk into their service and there isn't the joy unspeakable seen on the surface bubbling from within them, that they don't have life pouring out of them like the life-giving water that God promises, is because they don't have His Spirit, because they deny the idea of receiving the Holy Spirit. But it's a very biblical thing, and that verse that we shared I believe sums it up better than any other verse in Scripture. Even though they're told that you will receive this gift through faith, repentance, baptism, and you will receive the Holy Ghost. But every time we see the Holy Ghost received in Scripture, it comes with a sign. So that way you would be sure that you had received something, not that you would just assume that you had gotten it. And even yet, it normally happened after being baptized, after responding to God in faith, it wasn't something that just came to you the moment you believed, now God's Spirit lives within you. That's not what we see in the Bible. We see a direct sign. But a lot of churches re refuse to believe that. They turn away from that, and they don't know God in the relationship that they should have with God. They don't have God living in them. I believe many people believe that they do have the Holy Spirit, but their lives would tell you a different story. Because the Holy Spirit is the comforter, 
that Jesus spoke of. It's Jesus in you, his spirit living in you, helping you, leading you, guiding you, teaching you. That's what the Holy Spirit promises to do. And if you have the Holy Spirit, that means that things in your life are going to be different. And it's a great blessing. And you're going to be able to see that life in the church. Now, to turn back to worship, there's so many churches. I didn't grow up in the in the, the apostolic church that I'm now a part of, that I'm now actually a licensed minister in. This is not what I grew up in. I grew up in more of the Southern Baptist churches. Things are a lot more calm, a lot more what some people may call reverent. But in my opinion, we're a lot more spiritually dead. You came, you saw, and you left. Very few people were fully bought in, if we're just going to be honest, and they weren't practicing worship towards God. They weren't saying, God, thank you. They weren't pouring out in worship to their Heavenly Father. Instead, they were hoping God would pour into them without them even you know, hardly batting an eye. More passionate about a sporting event than they were about the things going on in the church. But how much greater is the victories we've won in God than the victories of any team could ever win? You take the underdog and put them up against the greatest team, and that victory shouldn't make you any more excited than what you've already experienced through God because we were the underdog, and somehow God gave us victory. We had no chance. Our enemy was all over us. The adversary was coming for us like a lion, ready to devour its prey, but praise God that he took the underdog and gave us victory. He gave us life. He gave us freedom from death. That is a reason to praise and glorify God. If you don't want to praise and glorify God, I can't understand how you have faith in Him. For everything about the Bible glorifies God and talks about the amazingness of God. How can we celebrate other things? How can we get excited and get emotional about other things in this world and cannot muster the same thing for God? It's a shame and it's a disgrace. And I believe that that's why churches are dying in our world today. People walk into churches, a place that's supposed to be a place of change, a place of power, a place of freedom, and they don't witness that. People don't want to be a part of something that's dead. They want to be a part of something that's alive. And if your church is not alive and not active, then why would anybody want to come to your church? That's why Pentecostal churches of various denominations are growing faster than any other because God, even though they may not have the fullness of truth, even though they may not know all that I believe that they should know and should hold to in their faith, God sees hungry people who are willing to come to him and praise, and that attracts other people. I've heard multiple people quote uh, their various names thrown on this um, this quote that I'm about to give. I believe maybe it was Jonathan Edwards, but basically somebody, some great revivalist in history said, if you want to draw people, light yourself on fire for God and they'll come to watch you burn. Well, that's the fire of God is his Holy Spirit coming down from heaven. And people will come to be a part of that. They want to witness something powerful. And God is powerful still in our world today. Why would we believe that God is any less active in our world today when we need him more than we've ever needed him? Just look around, not just here, but in our world, is more broken every day than it's been before. And we need God so we can believe that God is still as powerful today as he was 2,000 years ago and as he was all the way back to when he created everything that we see. God has all power. There's nothing that God can't do. And he is worthy of all praise. I'm not saying that we should all be aisle runners, that we should all be people just, you know, screaming out to God, 
But we should all be worshipers. We should all be active in worship, singing to God, men and women alike. You shouldn't be ashamed to sing unto God. David was a singer unto God. Paul and Silas were singers unto God. In that jail cell that night, they began to sing out their praises to God. Sounds like a sounds like they were having a worship set going on in the jail cell, and God moved. That's pretty amazing. I actually heard it said just this morning in church that that, that time it, there was an earthquake. And an earthquake happens when there's more power in something than out on the surface. So under, there's more power than what's on the surface. And you could think of like that was how Paul and Silas lived. They didn't have power, but there was more power in them. That's the symbolics of that earthquake that took place. I just think that's very interesting. I wish I was had it as clearly as my pastor said it this morning in church. But that is an amazing thing to think about. And it's amazing to think that we don't see more worship and more praise in our world today. If we are alive in Christ, then we should be alive in Christ. We shouldn't be mistaken for dead people. We shouldn't be mistaken for cold and dead religion. But our world should be able to see us alive. Now we need to start talking about we have what they need. They, of course, being the world. We are living in a lost and dying world. There are millions of people in need, and we have exactly what they need. As Christians, we have cures and compasses for those in need. We can provide them with all they have been looking for. They need to know God. As God's people, we can and should be the ones to make the introduction. They also need direction, and we can point them where they need to go. Truly, I believe that every saved Christian knows all that they need to share their faith with with others. If you have been saved, then you know all it takes to be saved. Salvation is simple, and the plan for salvation can easily be found in Acts 2.38. Sharing our faith is not simply something Christians can or should do. It's our purpose and responsibility to share with our faith with others. Jesus tasked every believer with this in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19. When he said to go into all the nations, making disciples and baptizing. That was not a word for a select few, but for every person who would ever come to him in faith. We should all be doing all that we can to reach our world for Christ. It really is our responsibility. How can we keep walking by people in need when we have exactly what they need? When it doesn't cost us anything but a little time. You have in your possession right now the cure for death and the compasses that lead to everlasting life. Don't hold it to yourself, but make the effort to freely give it to others as you freely received it. You wouldn't want to withhold the cure to cancer, so why do you hold back a much greater cure from reaching this world? I can make no other plea than for you to share your faith with everyone you can. Think of how much it has blessed you. Don't you want others to have the very same experience? Really, that is the way that I look at all that we have in the Christian life, all that we are blessed with and all that we have. We have cures and compasses. We have what this world needs. We have the cure to death, hell, and the grave, salvation. And that cure cures a myriad of other issues, sin, hurt, depression, sadness, anger, malice, forgiveness. The cure that we have is the cure-all. And eventually it'll cure every sickness and illness because, yes, you are afflicted in your body now. 
but a day is coming when that affliction will no longer be upon your body because you will receive your healing, whether it's on earth, whether you get healed from your sickness on earth, you will get healed of it on the other side of eternity. When you get to heaven, those things that affected you in this life will no longer affect you. You will be made whole, and you'll get to live that way for all time, something that we can't even begin to imagine. And with that, we have compasses. That's the best way I can describe it. God doesn't give us a map. God doesn't say this is where you need to go and exactly how you get there. God hasn't labeled everything out fully for us. He's obviously given us his word, which is the guidebook that we go by. But we don't get to see where we're going next or why we need to be there. But what we do have is a compass to guide us through this life, knowing the right direction. You could also say that we know which star to look for, which star to follow in order to make it where we need to go. The one that keeps us on the narrow, straight path that leads to righteousness, that leads to salvation. Our world is lost and sick. They need all that we have, and we can offer it to them. You are capable. It's amazing to think that there are Christians who believe that they are unable to share their faith because they're not a minister, because they don't have the knowledge. All the knowledge you need is in the Bible. And all the Bible was written by, well, you've got the Apostle Paul, who was a very learned man, but coming with that, he was able to break it down simply. But when you look at what Peter said on the day of Pentecost, Peter was a simple fisherman, an unlearned man. In fact, so many of Jesus' disciples were unlearned men that when they were called before judges and rulers after Jesus had ascended, and they were in trouble for preaching the name of Jesus, they were said, these men are unlearned. How do they know this? That tells us that we should be able to understand God's word because the people who put it together were just like many of us. They were simple. They put it in simple terms that we can understand. You can read and understand the Bible. But even if you have yet to do so, if you truly are saved, if you have a deep relationship with God, if you have gone through the plan of salvation, if you've been baptized, if you have faith, then I believe you have all that you need to share with others, and it is your duty and responsibility to share it with them. Do you not want your friends and your family to experience the very same things that you have, the freedom that you feel, how you physically feel lighter when you've gone to God in repentance and when you've been saved, how you felt different when you came up out of that water? It's hard to explain. It doesn't make sense, but it happened. It's true, and it's real. Praise God for it. But should we not want our whole world to experience that very same thing? If we can, it shouldn't just be pastors, evangelists, and missionaries who want to see our world change. It should be every Christian because only God can change our world. And it's only through a right relationship with Him. And all of us are His hands and feet. You may not be a preacher. You may not even be a teacher. You may not be gifted in those areas. But God has given you a gift. And you can use that gift. You can use that ability. You can use your interests. Whatever you have, you can use it to reach people for God and offer them exactly what they need. We don't need to be shocked by sinful people. Instead, we should be driven to our knees by sinful people, knowing that they would be different if they knew Christ, because we are different, all because we know Christ. We were like them. We were sinners separated from God, and we knew no better because no one yet had helped us to see that better. Or if they had, we didn't listen. But thankfully, nobody gave up on us and let us not give up on other people. But may we do our best to share with them what we have because they need it so much.
we can give them exactly what our world needs. It's a, I just can't believe that God uses people like us to reach other people, to be that conduit into the world, to be his hands and feet, to be his mouthpiece, and to be able to touch the lives of others. But let us not neglect it. But let us do all we can to reach this lost and dying world before it's too late, before, before the day is over, Jesus returns, and our work is finished. That day is coming, and it seems like it's coming very quick. So may we not neglect doing the purpose that God has given us. I believe that you can do it. I want to really emphasize that for a minute. If you're listening to this podcast right now, I believe that you can reach other people. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be worried about it. But you can reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know what you need to know. Because if you've been saved, truly, that's all that you need to know. What did you do? Why did you come to faith? You can answer those questions. And the greatest evangelistic tool that anybody has, even the greatest evangelist can't get past this one tool that is greater than every other tool in their arsenal. And that is their testimony. Telling where they came from, what God did for them, and what it was that changed their life. If you know your own story, then you are ready to go out into our world and begin to touch the lives of others, offering them exactly what they need. And you know that they need it because at one point you needed it too. There's nobody in this world who isn't going to die and who doesn't feel lost when they don't know God. Those are two common denominators between all people. We all know that we're going to die, and death fears, or death is, more people are afraid of death than possibly anything else because it's coming for us all. And with that, feeling lost is a feeling that we all experience. Am I doing what I should be doing? What is missing from my life? And that's why people are on drugs. That's why people are addicted to alcohol or pornography. They are searching for something that they cannot figure out. And that thing that they're searching for, whether they realize it or not, is God. And may they find God in us. And may we share all that we can with everyone we can. In Jesus' name. Moving right along, we turn to having the wrong expectations. Many are expecting to receive all the promises of God's word without living out the lifestyle he calls his people to live. The truth is that we will never begin to experience all God has for us if we are not fully submitted to what he has said. More joy, hope, peace, effective prayer, freedom from temptation, and more are all ours for the taking, but we have to be willing to submit to the word of God, to follow the biblical plan of salvation, not the counterfeit version that says all you need is a little bit of faith, but the full Acts 2.38 plan that Peter delivered on the day of Pentecost when asked what must, not should or would, be best, but what must we do to be saved? To which Peter responded with a clear command, tell them that they must repent, be baptized, and receive the Holy Ghost. The very plan we see followed in every salvation account throughout Scripture. But it doesn't stop at salvation. That opens the door, but we must keep walking. Walking in truth and growing as believers. Practicing the holiness principles we see throughout the New Testament. Putting off the old man and on the new. There is more to the Christian life than a knowledge of God. There is a way we are to live as the people of God. And it all is detailed in his word, much more than I can go into here. Maybe one day we'll have a full podcast episode 
in the More God, Less Me episodes that details holiness and the expectation that God has upon us. But we have to understand that there are holiness principles in the Bible, ways that we are expected to live, and the truth is so many Christians are not living in those ways. But we shouldn't be settling for having less by avoiding certain teachings from the Word, the hard, the difficult, the things that don't seem as much fun. We shouldn't be avoiding those because they're causing us to have less from God. Yes, it's very well possible that you have had an experience with God, that you've experienced God moving your life, that you've felt something in relation to God, but you aren't experiencing all you can because you have yet to fully trust in Him. It's time to stop trusting in your own understanding and just following, and just start following God. You could think of the effects of not being fully submitted to God like only putting your feet in a hot tub. You're going to be able to feel some of the effect of the warm water, but that doesn't replace the effects of being fully submerged. Those are two completely different things. You will not experience the same thing by dipping your toe in the hot water as you will fully sitting in there and being fully emerged in it. And it's the same way with God. There are many people living in the denominal world today with just a toe or their feet in, and they are feeling some of the effects of God. And they've become content with it. They believe that they have all they need because they have yet to fully submit to the fullness of God and experience all that comes with it. You may not be able to see all you are missing right now, but you will quickly take note of it the closer you draw towards God. You'll say one day, wow, I, I lived all this time and I didn't have this or know this. I've experienced it in my, my own life. Believing that I knew it all, had it all figured out, which is always a mistake as a man, but believing that I knew what I needed to know, that I had it figured out, that I was experiencing what I could experience with God. But you may not see it now, but what you're missing right now, but you'll quickly take note of it the closer you draw towards God. You can't receive all God's promises unless you fully submit to all he has said. If you are hungry for more and better, then it's time to set aside pride and fleshly desires to fully submit to God. Don't you ever wonder why things were happening in the Bible that aren't happening in many of the churches today? Why there was so much power in the book of Acts? These are questions that we should ask because things are different when we read the Bible than what we see in the church today. And it's because they lived different than we live today. They were generous. They were loving. They were kind and they were dedicated, the Bible says, to the apostles' doctrine. It was a different way of operating in the church at that time. But it shouldn't have been different. We should be doing and willing to do the very same things that God said in his word today that they were willing to do back then. Why is it not so in the church? And it's because it's difficult, it's hard, and because people have become convinced that it's not something that they ought to be doing. Well, so-and-so doesn't do that. Well, we have to remember that when we get to heaven, God isn't going to compare us to so-and-so. God is simply going to look, the Bible says, at how you lived. Not in how those around you lived, but how you lived in accordance to your knowledge of God's Word. The Bible also says that if you know that it's right to do something and you don't do it, that you've committed a sin. Now, that's a powerful verse. That means if you know that you ought to do the dishes but you leave them until tomorrow, technically, from what I read in the Scripture, and I don't want to be a legalist here, but that means that you have sinned because you knew that you should do something and you chose not to do it. How much more severe of a sin are we committing? Now, obviously, sin is not ranked, but if we think about it in that way, how much worse is it for us to know what we ought to do in God 
but knowingly choose not to do it simply because we don't want to, because others aren't doing it. That's wrong. We should be practicing what the Word says. We should be living a generous lifestyle, giving freely, as the Bible says. We should be practicing modesty, as the Bible says. We should be living in the overflow. We should have God's Spirit within us. We should have really received God's Spirit, and let alone actually put the plan of salvation into action, having been baptized, having received God's Spirit, having repented. These are things that God says we must do to be saved. That's what we said, that's what we read in Acts 2.38. If you read that verse, there's no denying what's going on, especially if you read the surrounding verses from Acts 2.37 down, or just read the whole chapter of Acts 2. You will see things that are clear that God desires very specific things from his people. And so we should be fully submitted to God in that way. The reason that we're not is because of pride. We are prideful people, and we don't want to do the things that God would have us to do. And so we try to go our own way, to make our own path, and to do our own thing. But that's not what God's word tells us that we ought to do. Instead, we should be dedicated fully to God, doing what his word says and then we'll get to experience all that we have we won't have the wrong expectation anymore but we'll have the right expectation because we'll be practicing what god said to do to receive what we are trying to receive don't have the wrong expectation instead apply god's word in your life and go to him with full expectation that he'll do exactly what his word says in your life finally we come to why try what isn't working? In Second Chronicles chapter 25, we are introduced to Amaziah, king of Judah. By the power of God, Amaziah is able to soundly defeat Seir. But when he returns from the battle, he brings with him the gods of that nation and begins to worship them, instead of worshiping the God of Israel, who gave him the victory. Seeing this, God sends a prophet to Amaziah, saying, Why hast thou sought after the gods of the people, which could not deliver their own people out of thine hand? The king had no response for the man of God, except death threats. And how could he? How could one begin to muster a response to such a strong word from God, pointing out their ignorance? How could anyone turn to a god that clearly could not save its own people? Why would you forsake the true God who proved his might and love by giving you victory to serve a losing God who clearly has no power to do anything? That's nothing more than an inanimate object. As shocking as this sounds, many Christians are doing just this today. As they trade what they have in God to chase the things of the world, forsaking what brought them out of their broken past to chase the very same things that clearly aren't working for others. People are still taking the path of the prodigal son, willing to give up safety, ease, and abundance just to have what they can't have in the father's house, only to experience the fleeting pleasures of sin and end up broken, alone, and in despair. The prodigal son was not the anomaly, but was par for the course. The lifestyle he chased would always end in the same way. I do not believe that he was the only one in a pig pit in that city but would have been surrounded by others who sought the same sinful pleasures he did and lost it all. He could have looked around and seen those suffering who it didn't work for in the past, and maybe he did, and maybe he thought to himself that it would be different for him, because many people do think that way. 
But in reality, it never is. What isn't working for others isn't going to work for you either. The gods Amazing Eye stole would never do any more for him than they did for the nation he defeated. The lifestyle the prodigal son sought would never match or even compare to what he already had, but would end in the same way that he had ended, it had ended for countless people before him. It's clear that the lifestyles flaunted in our world today aren't working. If they were, then we wouldn't see all the mental health issues we do today. Money doesn't make problems go away. If it did, then the lifestyles of the rich and famous wouldn't include so much drugs, alcohol, depression, suicide, loneliness, and premature death. It's clear that drug use doesn't work. It never solves any problems but destroys lives. The same can be said for alcohol. If we pause to look around, we can see how those of us in the church already have it so much better than those in the world. They claim to have freedom, but we experience true freedom. The Bible affirms this in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 19. It says, they promise freedom. That's exactly what our world does. It says they promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of sin and corruption. For you are a slave to whatever controls you. And you can't deny that those who are living sinful lifestyles are not being controlled by that sin. We are the ones who are free, free from addiction and service to our wicked flesh. Of course, what they have is appealing to the flesh. That's exactly how sin works. It's no surprise when a person, even in the church, is attracted to something sinful because it's designed by the enemy to attract us, to be pleasing to the eyes, pleasing to the flesh. But oh, how bitter it is to the soul and to the spirit. The enemy's goal is to get you separated from God and addicted to sin, and that's why it's flashy, that's why it's attractive, and that's why it looks good. But you have to understand that sin will always lead to death, spiritually, and more often than not, physically. Drugs, alcohol, even the sexual sins of this world all result in diseases and issues that will ultimately lead to death. Just look around and take note of the sinful lifestyles that are not working. Don't believe that what isn't working for them can work for you. It simply isn't true. You will experience the same anger, depression, loneliness, bitterness, hurt, and despair that they do. Why would you ever want to give up hope, joy, peace, love, and true fulfillment for any of that? If you are feeling a pull to the world, it's time to remove some things from your life and cast them into the fire. Whatever is pulling you towards sin isn't worth going to hell for. As my pastor used to say, I would rather go to heaven with a flip phone than hell with a smartphone. Think about that statement. Take away from your life what it is that's drawing you to sin, whatever you've been eyeing from across the room. Don't trade the truth for a lie or the blessed life that you have in God for a broken life in sin. That trade will never be worth the cost. It's possible that somebody listening to this podcast right now has been eyeing sins. That person who was thinking that it would work for them, that they could enjoy this, that they could have their cake and eat it too, that they could live with one foot in the world and one foot in the church. But I can assure you that it does not work. Many a good Christian has fallen before you into depravity, into depression, homelessness, has had their family destroyed because they chose to chase after something sinful, that if they had simply taken a minute to pause and to look around and to see the effects of that sin, they would have realized that they're going to end up exactly like that other person. 
Oh, that we would not turn to sin. No matter how good it looks from the outside, the fleeting pleasures of it are never worth it. And truly, it's such a fast pleasure because the shame and the regret come in instantly. And I believe that that is how the enemy works. I believe the enemy's goal is to cause you to sin and then cause you to immediately realize your sin so that you feel even further separated from God and you won't want to turn back to him in repentance. But praise God that there is a way. And that's what I want to tell some other people. If you're listening to this podcast right now and you are this person, if you've been living that lifestyle, if you thought maybe it would work for you even though it hadn't worked for others and you were suffering and you were struggling right now, praise God that there is a way out, that you can be forgiven, that you can be redeemed because the Father's arms are open. Just like the prodigal son, when he came to his senses, he was able to return to the Father and the Father restored him to the household. Because he loved him and he missed him. God feels the same way about you. Even if you've forsaken your faith, God is ready to give back to you everything that you had. To open you up and accept you with arms open. To extend loving mercy and kindness to you. Free of charge. To give you back what you once had that you forsook. God didn't forsake you, but you forsook God. But God's willing to overlook that to simply be in right relationship with you again, for you to come back to Him and not be living in that wicked lifestyle. Because nothing saddens God more than to see people hurting and broken and separated from Him. And so He has a way for you to be saved, and you can turn back to Him now, even though you tried what doesn't work, and you know now that it doesn't work. You don't need to go back to it. And I say that too, that's something to remember. We need to remind ourselves that sin doesn't work. To remember the past. We don't need to stumble into the same issues that the Israelites had. Where we look back on our, our bondage and we forget the pain and suffering of it and we can only see some of the good times that existed in it. They continually said they wanted to go back to Egypt where they were beaten daily. Where they were hurt every single day of their lives. Where they were being used by the Egyptians. They said they wanted to go back to that lifestyle time and time again. Because they forgot of just how bad it was. May we not forget how bad our sinful lives were, but remember why we came to God in the first place, why we were so excited to meet God because of how bad our lives were in sin. May that be something that we're constantly reminded of, and especially if you've fallen back into sin and come back to God, do your best to remember all that God has taught you and all that God has brought you from so that you'll continue to walk down that right path, not wanting to return to things that you know are not going to lead to a better life than the one that you have right now. Don't be, don't be smitten by the attractiveness of sin. But walk in the light, walk in the Spirit of God, and be able to overcome that temptation. I think that's all that we've got for this episode of the podcast. These are like almost sermonettes, I feel like sometimes, but there's things that I've said in those that I'm so glad I get to return back to them and remember those and be able to use them in other messages and other podcasts in the future. It's amazing just the, the wealth of knowledge that's in God's Word. And we're so blessed to have God's Word and to carry it with us and to know the truth and allow the truth to set us free. What a great blessing that that is. That's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. I hope that you guys have a blessed Thanksgiving, as I already mentioned. We'll be back on Friday with the Better Together podcast. I'll be joined by my lovely wife, we're going to be having a great conversation about a myriad of different topics, I'm sure, as we also are anticipating our uh, upcoming renovations on the house and how those things are going. 
but we'll get into that another time. Until then, I hope you have a great rest of your week, and God bless.